Let us turn once more to our God in prayer. Father in heaven, be with us now. We come to the great apex of worship, your word. Your word read, your word preached, your word listened to, your word conveyed, received, held onto, digested, incorporated. Your word. Be with us because we are not enough. And yet in our weakness, we find ourselves a perfect home for your sufficient strength. So Lord, stir your Holy Spirit in us that we might understand your word and be blessed. Lord, be with me and bless me that I may bless my brothers and sisters. And be with our children downstairs as they continue to sing your praises and learn in the ways that they can of who you are and your love for them in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. When is the last time you experienced the wonder of a child, the amazement of discovery? Abby and I were driving in my car, and Ethan was back there. I don't know what he was doing. But we were listening to uh, 96.7 K-Love, right? We finally, Christian radio, Christian music in New York. And uh, that, that's something uh, to just kind of sit back in amazement of in itself. But we were just singing some, a song that we, we sing at church, and Abby and I had a good time singing it together. And Abby goes, Appa, I like that song. Appa means daddy in Korean. Do we have the DVD? Uh, she thinks that everything five and a quarter inch circle is a DVD, right? So, um, and I said, no, Abby, uh, we, uh, we were listening to the radio. What's radio? My daughter's five, okay? So I'm thinking my double E course. I'm thinking multiplexers, amplifiers, transducers, and radio waves. And all right. Well, Abby, you know that antenna that we have on the back of the car? The music comes from there? No, Abby. Well, there's a bigger antenna. How big? Really big. Like our house big? No, Abby, like, like where Marin's mommy works big. Andrea works at the Citibank building. All right? That big? Yes, Abby. The antenna is that big. And the music is in there? Sort of. The music is in there, but then... They use something to turn it into energy. What's energy? Like energy when I get up in the morning? Kind of, Abby. <laughs> but that kind of energy is like, you know electricity, like the lightning bolts? It's like that, but it's invisible. Like God is invisible? Sort of, Abby. <laughs> God is invisible, and he made energy, and he made some things like energy invisible too, so you can't see it. And so the energy, the music that got turned into energy, goes out of the antenna to our antenna. It gets shot there, 
Like a gun? Oh, man, I love my daughter. Not like a gun, Abby. More like, more like when you drop a rock in a pond and then it goes out in circles everywhere around. And it goes from that big antenna to the little antenna on our car. And then our antenna catches it. And then the little computer that we have up front turns that energy back into music for us to listen to. Then for the rest of the drive home, dead silence. <laughs> what is she thinking of? I have no idea. I can see the rack mounts. I can see the you know, generators, I can see the scaffolding, I can see in my mind just how radio waves travel, I can see just the, electric, I can, the electrical wires, we didn't talk about electrical fields and the speakers. That's the wonder of a child. When's the last time you experienced that? And this passage, Psalm 104, this passage answers the question, how do we live in awe of God? In constant awe of God. And it starts off really wisely. It starts off arguing we should be in awe of God. First, the psalmist reminds us why we should be in awe of God. We absolutely need to live in awe of God. Why? Let's read these words. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. These words sound familiar? I mean, between the, the song that was ripped right from Psalm 104, Praise the Lord, O my soul, I will praise him, or, you know, just, just so many songs we sing find their origin right here. He clothes himself in light. I clothe myself in Banana Republic and uh, maybe Joseph Bank on Sundays. He, he wraps himself in light as with a garment. Lightning bolts are his socks. The sun, a mere baseball cap. You know, we can live as functional atheists who walk around and find that there's, oh, nothing to be in wonder of. We can walk around thinking that, hey, we are the apex of evolution, and so we're as good as it's gotten so far. It might get better, but we're as good as it gets now. Or we can believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says that there is a huge, a vast difference between God and man. We forget this at our peril. You know the expression, familiarity breeds contempt? We Christians can be accused of that more than anyone else. At least the pagans knew to fear their gods. This is not what Galatians 4, 6 meant 
when it says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. No, God in Christ invited us to be called His children. As our eldest brother laid down his life for us that we might be brought into the family of God, but we were never to forget that there is a difference, that we are not like the one who created us. We are not like the one who sent his son to save us from our sins. This difference between God and man is known as the creator-creature distinction. And it's one of the concepts, the building blocks of good theology. Now, in one sense, we are like God. We are like God because we remember from the first first part of the Bible, from Genesis, that God created us in his image. He created us somehow to capture some of his likeness, some of what is important to him, some of what represents him. We are made in his image to reveal that to the world, to the universe. But don't make any mistake about it. God is still very different from us. Kind of like when we hold up a mirror to ourselves or we stand in front of a mirror and we see our image in that mirror. Is that mirror anything more than just a reflection of who we are? There's no bones and tendons and blood and hearts pumping in that reflection, is there? It's just reflected glory. And just like that, We are so different. God is so much more than us. If you think God is like you but just bigger, you've just reduced God to our level. God is not like us, but he is for us. That's uh, if if you read, or even if you watched the movie, I think this line was in the movie, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The Pevensey kids, they're in Beaver's house. They're on the run from the white witch, right? And Beaver's telling them, Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And they're like sitting there and just, there's this calm washing over some of the kids, except for Edmund, who's just kind of disgusted. Like, who's Aslan? And Beaver explains, Aslan is the true king. And he's a lion. And the kids start getting a little scared and say, he's a lion. Sounds dangerous. Is he safe? And Beaver explains, no, he's not safe. He's a lion. But he is good. And that's what Scripture tells us. Just like the Beaver was telling the Pevensey kids, Scripture tells us, God is not like us, but he is good. And so let us understand this goodness by looking at what he has made. And that's the second thing this passage puts forth. Look at what he has made. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. He, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. 
Scripture is walking us through something that uh, Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias says. Wonder is retained by wise pondering. I like that, don't you? Wonder is retained by wise pondering. So let's ponder just one small part of this passage. The text says that God manages the waters, not like your human resource manager manages people. Let's, how does God manage the waters? John Piper said, this makes him think of rain and Job, chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, which reads, But as for me, I would seek God, and I would place my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonder without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. And Piper asks, Is rain a great and unsearchable wonder wrought by God? Is it a wonder to you? Let's, uh, you know, we know, especially in the last few months, we know what it is like to have rain on Long Island, don't we? So let's just take a square mile of Oyster Bay, the little hamlet of Oyster Bay that we're sitting in right now, and let's think of one inch of rain falling on Oyster Bay. If one inch of rain fell, that would be 27,870,000 cubic feet of water, which, you know, no one measures water in cubic feet. It's in gallons. So it's 206,300,000 gallons of water. But I can't really think in gallons myself. I like weight measure. So that is 1,650,000,000 pounds of water. And so, if I ask the question, how did that rain get here? And if you replied, evaporation and precipitation, well, I would say this sermon is exactly for you because you were in desperate need of some just creative imagining and wise pondering. So let's say that this water had its origin in the Gulf of Mexico. All right? And through a combination of difference in air pressure and through temperature variances and relative humidities, water is translated from fluid form into vapor form. Not all of it, because if rain had salt in it, then all of our crops would die. All of our grass would die. And so, through this distillation process, salt is left and only water is taken and translated into the air where the jet stream, which varies between 80 to 140 miles an hour over our heads, wraps it up and takes it 1,236 miles, because I drove it during Hurricane Irene, from the Florida area to overhead. And so in the course of maybe as little as 12 hours, a billion, 600 million pounds of water is moved from the gulf to the sky over our heads. And now does it just dump on us all at once? 
No, a billion, six hundred million pounds, I say again. That would flatten a good number of houses, wouldn't it? And wouldn't feel very good on us. How is it that water just dribbles out of the sky? Let's say that it did just dribble out of the sky in the form of raindrops. We haven't even gotten to how raindrops form. But let's say that that raindrop fell from 1,650 feet at 9 meters per second squared with nothing slowing it down. That would hit the ground at 225 miles an hour. The average 60-pound draw bow shoots an arrow at 200 miles an hour. So how is it that whenever it rains, we're not just made into Swiss cheese out of the rain falling on us? This water gathers around tiny, microscopic specks of dust. And it goes up and down, up and down, gathering through electrical fields. I don't understand. Don't ask me. Gathering more water until it hits a point where it can fall without evaporating again and strike the ground. But through, wind, through air resistance and through that perfect shape of that drop, slows down to a mere 15 miles an hour so that not even a blade of grass is broken. This is our God. And he has made wonderful things. He has made a wonder of the universe. So, Piper says, I think instead, I'll just take Job's word for it. Countless wonders. I still don't see why drops ever get to the ground. Because if they start falling, as soon as they're heavier than air, they would be too small not to evaporate on the way down. But if they wait to come down, what holds them up until they're big enough not to evaporate? Yes, I'm sure there's a name for that too, but I am satisfied now that by any name, this is a great and unsearchable thing that God has done. I think I should be thankful, lots more thankful than I am. See, God himself in Genesis 1, he called it good. He called, made light, called it good. Made the earth, the skies above, the waters below, called it good. Made the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, called it good. Made the vegetation and all that walks the land and called it good. And then the very last day, he called it very good. God himself delights in what he has made. Shouldn't we? One more quote, my last one for today, by G.K. Chesterton, an English Christian author. And he writes this, A child kicks its legs rhythmically through excess, not absence of life. There's too much life in this kid. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, do it again. And grown-ups, the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough. It is possible that God says every morning 
do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that He has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. Isn't that a marvelous way to look at the world that God has made? That God continues to make every note of music played beautiful to our ears. That He delights in making every last of the ridiculous trillions of snowflakes that He has made differently. Look at what He has made. Thankfulness? Absolutely. Awesome wonder? Yeah, I think we're getting it. But, you know, if we left it at this, we'd just be really good pagans. You know, and at times pagans are overwhelmed by nature, but never by Jesus Christ. And it is, as I told the middle school kids in Sunday school today, it is Jesus that sets us apart and makes us different. John chapter 1 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. See, Jesus was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was there from the beginning. And through Jesus, all things were made. He was the very Word of God in creation. And so, when we sing that doxology, and it says it right, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's right, that line. It all flows from Him. And it came through Jesus Christ. And so as we have turned to Jesus, let's go one step further. And the passage even says this. Look at what He has done. I'm going to jump to verse 29. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. See, this combined with verse 9. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. This is flood language. This is Noah and the flood language. And what was that about? You know, just in a way, in a cosmic way, you know, just Genesis 1 describes just God making everything out of nothing and separating waters, cosmic waters, above and below. And in the flood, God's wrath on sin caused an uncreation where the waters just came back together and land disappeared. But then... God relented in his wrath, saving Noah, and the waters receded, both in the skies and in the deep. Land reemerges, 
You know, and Peter, in his letters, describes this as a new creation, as a recreation. And he promised never again to flood the earth. And so, there's a boundary that the waters cannot cross. But Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ appears here too. How is it that God relented? How is it that he even saved Noah? Because thousands of years from then, there would be a different ark, the cross. And there would be a different judgment on sin. Jesus Christ on the cross took our sin for us. He was drowned in the flood of God's wrath in the cross. Again, like I told the middle school kids, he lived the life we should have lived, and Jesus died the death we should have died. And so, this passage, when you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. It is, in a prophetic way, speaking of Jesus and his ministry. Because Jesus is saying, never again will the flood of wrath, never again will the darkness of sin encompass the face of the earth. I will drink every last drop dry. And I will send my spirit out and renew the earth. You know, the New Testament calls us new creations. Anyone who is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so the very word of the first creation becomes the ultimate word of the true and final creation of making us the sons and daughters of God. And once again, John 1. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, even in nature alone, we will find reasons to never stop being in wonder of God. But it is in Christ alone that we will find that true representation of His glory. It is in Christ alone that we find our connection, our relationship to the Creator. We find in Christ that He is our elder brother, who has, by his sacrifice, made us the children of God. And that, my brothers and sisters, is reason enough for us to always live in unceasing wonder of what God has done. So, church, how does living in wonder change how you live. Because you don't want to be a jaded person just kind of saying, so, or, eh. You ever, you ever explain something that just so amazes you and excites you to someone and that's your response? Jadedness. 
No. The passage says something far different. Verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. You all know, all newcomers don't, but the rest of you all know that I love to sing. You know, I'll just ruin my voice singing because I just love it so much. And I can't restrain, I ought to learn to restrain myself, but I can't restrain how much I want to sing. And when Kim and I first came to this church, we rejoiced to learn that you love to sing as well. Why? Because we, we have reason to sing. Ephesians 5.19, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sing at each other because we need the reminder. Sing so that others remember they too have reason to sing. You know, everyone knows you need a reason to sing. People don't understand people who always seem to have a reason to sing. But try it. Sing and whistle at work. If you learned piano, one of the first songs that you learn is whistle while you work. And I forget the rest of it, but I remember it. Anyway, so whistle, you know, just whistle, sing at work, and you will be surprised at how many people just are like, what are you doing? Or they kind of respond and smile. Because they all kind of wish they had reason to do it. But you do have reason to sing. It is a completely cross, like radical, countercultural thing to be singing at work and where you are, walking, running, with friends, with family. Feel sorry for those people who don't get to worship on Sundays. When do they get to sing? Singing is the Christian's inheritance. Never relinquish your grasp on it. Confront others with your wonder. You know, students, confront your classmates, all right, with, in science and in other classes by bringing your wonder into those places. You know, can you imagine just reading this and thinking, like, just, I don't know, like, biology, cellular biology, and looking, all right, so there are, you know, there's the mitochondria, and there's a mitochondrial wall, and this is the power plant of the cell, and then the cell has cell walls in itself, and there's this fluid, there's a nucleus. If that's all you're getting, even out of, like, microbiology, you are not living in wonder. But if you are living in wonder... Can you bring that to your class and say, isn't this amazing? You know, can you just, you know, I mean, if you're going to get in trouble for cl in class for an outburst, you know, yo, Miss Johnson, this is incredible. 
And if others just wonder, how is it that you're seeing such wonder? You have an opportunity to tell them. I know why it's wonderful. <laughs> I know who made it. It doesn't matter your occupation. For the contractor, think about the the materials that you use to build. The fact that they're malleable enough to be shaped into these forms, and that you can put it into such places, and yet they will withstand the test of time and storms and rains and hail and hurricanes and people walking and stepping on it. You know, marvel at oil instead of just only grousing at how much you have to pay for oil, and be amazed that. Man, who's the first person that put a fire to this thing and figured, hey, warm? Or I want to know who was the per- first person who figured out, hey, let's turn oil into plastic. Yeah, you didn't you didn't know that, did you? They turn oil and hydrocarbons into plastic. They can do that with corn now too. So what have I covered? Students, contractors. Chemists, all right, people, homeowners with bo- uh, with oil furnaces, you know, in the medical profession, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to go into medicine before God called me to ministry with failing grades in lots of classes, you know, just there is just a never-ending just cornucopia to marvel at. Julia Combs is sitting right there because some genius figured out, hey, we can send, take out someone's blood, centrifuge it like a strainer, and take out all those nasty globs that her immune system is just flooding her system with, and then put her clean blood back into her so that she can sit with us and worship. Confront. You, you never knew that wonder could be a weapon, did you? Confront the jadedness of this world. And the darkness of life, the darkness of the enemy, with wonder at what God has made. But then, don't leave it there. Bring them to ultimately what God has done, because you can tell your friends as amazing as what God has made. You know, God who made all these things is. He did something even better. He sent His Son. And they call him Jesus. You know, God who said, "It's good, it's good, it's good," of creation, saved his best blessing for Jesus. This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. He is good, and he gave himself up so that we. Could be brought in, and I'll leave you with this: the one who does all things well, Jesus Christ said, "I tell you the truth: anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it." Is calling on us to live in amazement, like children, at what He has made. But then trust him with a child's trust for what he alone has done. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give such thanks to you. And our jadedness causes us to forget. But let a lightning bolt, let a sun ray, let a raindrop, 
Let a flood, let a hurricane, let a drought, let fish, let the meal on our table, let a splinter. Let everything around us remind us that we were created and you are the creator. And let us live in awe. But Lord, let us see how you have bridged that gap by condescending down to us and making yourself known in your Son. And that in Him, we are not just creations, but we are new creations. We are now those redeemed by the blood of a Savior. We are those who are in Jesus, never to be outside of Jesus, never to experience your wrath. And Lord, send us out into your world with that wonder that we might just bring that wonder to each other because we need reminders, but to bring the light to where there is darkness and to say, I know why this world is filled with wonderful things. But I know a wonder even greater than all these things put together. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.